Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I am your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by... Mason Joseph. And this is sort of our pre-conclusion episode of Pinot Gris, or Pinot Grigio, uh, it can be pronounced either way. I guess it just depends on where it's from, uh, as we've discovered in this. And um, do you want to just get right into the wine review? Because yeah. while it's like fresh in my mind, I sort of wanted to say my notes because you and I had different opinions on it, as we do often with uh, Pinot Grigio. <laughs> with most whites. Yeah, with most most whites, I think that's true. Um, so this was uh, Hedgeline Vineyards Pinot Grigio, It's or Pinot Gris. It's from Washington State. Uh, it's 12.5% alcohol by volume. Uh, this will be my notes on it, and then we'll discuss a little bit about it. Because mm-hmm. I, I think now that I've, we've tried the four, I've sort of pinned down what it is I don't particularly like about Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in my kind of my tasting notes a little bit. So uh, look was a little bit darker than the other ones we've tried. So I would say this was more kind of tending toward amber but it was more of a clear kind of a clear yellow color but it was kind of on the more amber spectrum i guess of the other the other of the four that we've tried this was more amber yeah it <laughs> so, all depends on how much of it you have in the glass like this one true. specifically to me at least really took on the characteristic like its color really varied based on how much was in the glass whereas the others to me they were so light it didn't really manipulate the color very much yeah yeah this one did definitely have a lot more color to it than the other ones um the smells that i got out of it was like citrus pear and apple uh there was also sort of like maybe flowers or blossoms or something like that in there then taste this is kind of what the crux i think is for me is where like, i'm starting to identify what it is i don't like about this so uh pear peach a little citrus tartness all those are great flavors to me uh this is the part that like I think is what kind of turns me off of the Pinot Grigio is it's got this like heaviness to it. This and I don't know if it's mouthfeel exi- exactly like I was I was like I was, I was kind of describing it to Victoria a little bit while we were watching uh we've been watching Blacklist lately and I had a glass of it while we were watching that and I was like um it's like sticky and heavier and then I was like oh it's kind of maybe like uh honey or like overripe apples is this kind of additional flavor and it's and mouthfeel wise is just feels heavier and i just don't appreciate that portion of it and i've i got something similar to that in all the pinot grigios we had um this one i thought was better than than the other three i thought this was probably the best one that we've had but it still had a lot of those characteristics that i just didn't really care for when it came to mouthfeel and these sort of ancillary flavors like Honey is the closest thing I can get to it. Like I don't really like eating like a spoonful of honey. That's not mm-hmm. that doesn't it doesn't taste good to me. And this sort of to me had that in it, where it was just this like additional sweetness. And and now that I'm kind of describing it now, I was I kind of was looking at my other tasting notes for the other ones that we did. I sort of feel like I can apply that to all of them, where it had this sort of overripe apple or honey flavor to it that is not sweet, but kind of reminiscent of sweet. It is a dry wine. It does have a great acidity to it, 
the peach and pear flavors are really good, but there's just this extra flavor that is just not one that I enjoy. But you think that flavor also lends to the mouthfeel? It, I don't know if it's, I don't know if the flavor is making it the mouthfeel or if that is what my mind is associating with it because it is, it is definitely mouthfeel wise compared to like uh, Sauvignon Blanc. It is definitely a heavier mouthfeel. Uh, it is more oily, heavier, thicker on the mouth. It's more viscous. So that's one of the reasons yeah. I, so this series brought back to mind one of the reasons I kind of stopped drinking a lot of the whites. And one of the things that I had happen a couple times with the Georgian whites is like it, it like, you know, like Pepto-Bismol, how it's kind of chalky, but it's got that like coating and it's supposed to, it's supposed to coat to try to help with the acid and, and that sort of stuff. Right. Like these have that quality to it. I don't think the Italian did okay. anywhere near as much, but like one of the things I've been kind of dealing with all day is like I started, you know, I had a glass at lunch and I had a second glass at lunch. So I didn't get really, I mean, it's 12%. So it's not like it's that strong. And then I wasn't filling the glass super tall or anything like that, but like, we had uh, hand pies tonight, and they were mm-hmm. uh, chicken curry based. Oh, that sounds but good. My daughter's four. We, you know, none of the curry is like particularly spicy or anything like that. Yeah. But it's a buttery crust. So, but like I've been kind of dealing with like a kind of like not an upset stomach, but like not a clean feeling stomach mm. most of the night. And that's one of the things that like I used to kind of notice that I would get with like these and I never really put it together. And then like I did at one point and I kind of just stopped drinking them and then kind of focus more on reds. Um, and also, you know, because I had also been getting the, um, wines from the Groupons. I just kind of was like, okay, I'll get what I get now. Like this one, I don't notice the overripe apple flavor necessarily. I thought this was the best of the four. Mm -hmm. Um, but I couldn't give you a specific fruit flavor in this one. I just thought this one had the most acidity to it, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, And so it's not like, it's kind of one of those things where like, I kind of feel like I'm becoming more of a red person and this Mm -hmm. is reminding me why, but then we're also, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, I really do like, now you can get some Sauvignon Blancs that have this in them. Um, But like, there's also then to me Riesling and Riesling, you know, kind of comes up in it. Like as long as you're, you know, I think you and I both agree like the like middle sweet, like the, because there's the four settings on Riesling. There's the sweet, semi-sweet, not semi, you know, close to dry and then dry, like the close to dry and the dry. I know those aren't the right words necessarily. Those are the ones I think that both you and I really do kind of don't mind. And like, yeah, that's yeah, what and actually like. like, like a slightly older dry Riesling that has that sort of like rubber or petrol kind of flavor to it. I really like a lot. It is kind of an unusual flavor, but, mm-hmm. uh, and, but in, in those, in like a slightly older Riesling. Yeah. And, and then that acidity too, where it's just like opens your pores up kind of you, it gives you a little bit of a sweat sort of, I like that a lot. And some of the Pinot Grigios did have this, but it was this other flavor that to me was kind of off-putting and maybe, 
maybe a lack of complexity. I, I don't, mm-hmm. and and that sounds to me kind of snobby, but like, I, I wouldn't even say it's a lack of complexity. It's just like a lack of, uh, I don't know, depth. No, maybe I, um, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. like, and this is kind of one of those things about white wine, and I think Chardonnay is a little different sometimes, which is interesting given how much we tend to crap on Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Um, but like these wines seem to not to be one note ponies, but, and I think it's the price point a little bit, but a lot of times yeah. like there's one main flavor and yeah, I, that makes whites, sense. A lot of whites suffer from that. And that's kind of the, what we were seeing with the Italian description of the Pinot Grigio is it's like the essence of the grape. Right. And it's like, tries to be as pure and like refined as possible. And I think that's kind of like, okay, this is the only thing you get. Whereas, you know, you were saying like here, a little bit of citrus notes, that sort of thing. But then there's also like that oiliness. And it's like, is that a function of the grape? Is that a function of the way people produce Pinot Grigio at this price point? You know, all that questions. Right. Which is, which is interesting because on the, on the red side, and it is, definitely a different production. Uh, I'd be curious to see what like an orange wine from Pinot Grigio was like, because it is genetically almost identical to Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. And I do like Pinot Noir a lot. I wonder if like an orange wine Pinot Grigio would be more similar to uh, Pinot Noir. If you made Pinot Noir basically using the, that exact same process, but using Pinot Grigio grapes, what would the difference be? And uh, I think that would be kind of an interesting experiment. Maybe one day when you and I have, our experimental vineyards, we can do something like that just to see. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, what, well, would it, what would this be like? They also, uh, they have one. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Um, well. That'd be interesting to try. Yeah. Google did uh, Gary's Wine and Marketplace. Yes, I'm over 21. Uh, Sun Goddess Pinot Grigio. Huh. I'd try. I'd That's try an that. Italian, yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe if we can track that down, we'll we'll try that out at some point. Um, yeah, I mean that would be fun. Like it's definitely like a an interesting concept and idea, and um, right. And, and that's kind of the thing that you know you and I like. I'm glad we went through this, and yeah. I think if one of one of the things I think would be fun is if there was somebody who, um, was like a big Pinot Grigio drinker, like more than I used to be like somebody who like really goes down the rabbit hole with them, um, reached out and kind of would suggest one that like they thought was particularly good and kind of, we could look at the price point and, you know, maybe get that. Um, yeah. You know, maybe- and, well, and, and speaking of price point too, um, I don't think I mentioned the price point on this. This is, uh, this was from Kroger mm-hmm. and I think, uh, I think it was t- Twelve dollars with your eleven ninety nine, according to your picture. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, eleven ninety nine uh, with your with your Kroger card, I think. Uh, I don't no? think they can do that with those. Okay. Um. But yeah, that's the it, I paid the same price. I mean, it was okay. Great. Much yeah. So same price. Yeah, so. and and that kind of sort of going back to what you were just saying though is that it is a price point thing. I think too is that this is we are going for Kroger stuff. Uh. Both you and I looked for stuff that was at a little bit of a higher price point at Kroger, 
and there really isn't much. There was another Italian that was uh, nineteen dollars or twenty, 20 mm-hmm. bucks, basically. Like um, twenty two, I think here. If we're if we were both looking at the same one, yeah. And then um, I was at because Victoria wanted to go to TJ Maxx the other day. I, I I was texting you while I was there, which I had terrible reception inside Total Wine. Which <laughs> I wonder if they do that on purpose so I can't go look up prices. No, uh, I, I don't think. I mean, well, <laughs> they, I'm sure. Basically, it's not legal to do that. Um, okay. Not that you know you or I care about that concept, but yeah, basically, like signal blocking intentionally. If you get caught doing that, is some pretty heavy fines from the FCC. Okay. Well, while I was in there, I was looking around, and even in that Pinot Grigio section. Now, this was this was the uh, basically the straight Pinot Grigio section. It, I I didn't break out into you know Alsace or uh, yeah. Italy to look for stuff. It was pretty much the same price point. Like it was it was basically everything was roughly under twenty dollars. Um, yeah, and that's that's what I was thinking is we would have to kind of we would need somebody like Jackson blood or, or somebody kind of like at that level um, to suggest something because even at that price point, I'm sure there's, you know, we could find a good Pinot Grigio or one that was more, you know, maybe different than what we're experiencing. Um, But that we would have that opportunity to kind of like, you know, and that's, what's always nice about Jackson is he's like, Oh yeah. You know, this one's, ten dollars and you're like yeah <laughs> and, you're like, and, and he knows yeah he's yeah. got he's he's very uh aware of of price and what is available at a particular price yeah so that's where i think like you know if we went to italy and we're looking at wines you know we might be spending twenty dollars but it might be just cheaper because we're in italy and that might be a 35 dollar bottle of wine maybe not but like i think we could or in france you know we might be able to get a better or a different type of one and maybe a higher price point, you know, that sort of thing where it's just kind of experience the difference. Yeah. Um, so did I mention that this is from Washington? I think you opened with it. Um, but yeah, we didn't focus on the fact much that it was from Washington, which I personally think is pretty awesome. It, it is pretty awesome. And this is actually, I did a little bit of research on uh, Washington Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris, however you want to call it. Uh, and a lot of the information was actually not that much different from what they were telling us about Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to get a lot of the same fruit profile, a lot of apple, pear, um, some peach, but also that strong acidity that is pretty typical of Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a new world white, you are going to have a lot more fruit forwardness than in the old world. But I did not really see that much of a difference between um, like the Oregon or the Monterey and the Italian one we had. Again, it could be the price point. It could also be that Italy is very warm, and so you are going to get a little bit more of that fruit, fruit yeah, flavor. I, I would have liked to really – I really wanted to get a French one. Yeah, and, and we might still do that. I think after we do our Kroger series because we're going to we're gonna, – I think we're going to go into um, Sauvignon Blanc next from Kroger just yeah. to – but I, I want to try to do what you had suggested, which is uh, come up with a list that we're going to get and then put that list out so that uh, our listeners can pick it up if they want to drink with us. I think that'd yeah, be fun. And I think I have the first one that we're oh, okay. going to try to get. Uh, or I, yeah, I, did, I didn't you send it. it to me? Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Um, um, Gerard Bertin, uh, Cote de Rose, Sauvignon Blanc, 2019. Um, and here's the thing is, I think this is a French one. It doesn't have any like... 
Well, it uh, does say Soudé France. Yeah, so it says paid the you know pays DOC. So like it, but it doesn't have any of the traditional DOC labels. So like okay, I think this was specifically made for export, um, not like a French one that just sells in France and then they chose to export it. Um, but either way, like it was at Kroger. This one was nineteen ninety nine at the time. I mean, it's normally twenty two forty nine, but normally Kroger's sale price is actually the kind of going rate price. Okay. Um, so who knows, but like, I'm, I'm excited to try it. Um, and I'm going to yeah, see let's, if I can find anything about it at the, at the end of the episode, let's recap that again. And I'll put it, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll remember this time and, uh, also, <laughs> and also put it on Twitter yeah. uh, so that people can get it and try it with us sort of if, if they're interested in doing that. And it's at Kroger. I mean, and if you're in an area that isn't serviced by Kroger, like California, um, or certain parts of California, I think Kroger's in some of it, but, uh, then, you know, Raley's or Albertsons or one of those places will probably have it. it it's if they're these the wines that we're trying are going to be more generally available wines. Mm-hmm. Um, but but back to Washington Pinot Grigio. So that's what they're saying about it. It's it's uh, not that much different than Oregon. Has a lot of those same fruit flavors. A lot of that high acidity. Um, you're going to get a little bit more acidity from it because it does tend to have um, wider temperature s- swings in the regions where they're mostly growing Pinot Grigio, which is mostly eastern Washington. Those regions even bleed into Idaho, and in certain parts they bleed up into Canada. Uh, the the ones that are grown, the Pinot Grigio grown in Canada is not usually available on our side of the border because of trade restrictions, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'd be very curious to try a Canadian one. That would be kind of interesting, and it's probably going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'd also be interested to try Idaho, which is probably not available out here. But um, that there, when when I was reading this article on Washington Pinot Gris, they were just saying that this whole general area is kind of encompassed in this. There's a little bit in Idaho, a little bit in Canada, and we kind of include those all together. Um, so yeah, mostly grown in the eastern part of the state, uh, and um, even though the eastern part of the state is very far away from the coast, they say one thing that is maybe a little more distinct about Washington Pinot Grigio is not necessarily the Pinot Grigio being produced in Washington. It's the the fare that comes from the Puget Sound in Washington, which is where Camp Burton is, where I talk about all the time. Um, so there's a lot of seafood coming out of there, a lot of shellfish, a lot of um, very fishy fish and salmon and uh, that type of fish coming out of that region. You know, we have the salmon runs every year out out on that coast, and I guess probably on this coast too. I don't, I'm not really sure how the salmon. No, runs. there's not really the Atlantic salmon. I think is very north. Oh, okay. All right. Not a thing technically. I mean, I remember something weird yeah. about it, but well, I, know, I know that I know that, like the Irish have a salmon run, but it might be on that. Maybe it's on that side of the ocean and it's just not that much on this side of the ocean. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, so they're saying that this goes really well with seafood. And so on that note, I had it with what I cooked for dinner, which was, um, a shrimp chowder, uh, but it was a tomato based shrimp chowder. I also so, had this with shrimp. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the the we made shrimp fried rice. So totally not. <laughs> oh, okay. To the flavor profile, but yeah, yeah. So I, I we did a to, I did a tomato based uh, shrimp chowder, which was good. Uh, it was very simple, and um, that sounds it great. was yeah, it was it was pretty good. Like I was I didn't really want like a super creamy 
soup. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll look up like, I thought Chesapeake style for some reason was tomato based, but when I was looking at recipes, it was cream based. So, um, I thought Chesapeake style chowder. Oh, maybe, maybe. Okay. I know that one of those out there is, is like a tomato base. That's what I wanted Mm -hmm. and, uh, couldn't find it. So I was, so basically I made tomato soup with shrimp and, (laughs) um, which is good. Yeah. And, uh, but then, uh, I made that a couple of days ago and then today, uh, we were, we ate a little bit of it for lunch and I was like, this is really good, but you know what? This is kind of like tomato sauce. Let's just make spaghetti for dinner (laughs) then just dump it on the spaghetti. So, uh, it was more watery. What's that? I said, Hey, that sounds great. Yeah, it, it was good. It was, it was fine. So, uh, and it turned out real well, but I had this with that and I, and it was interesting to try it because I, I'm always, and, and I don't eat, I don't drink wine enough with food. And one of the things I learned when I was doing the W set set of certifications is how much the flavor of wine is changed by food and how much the flavor of food is changed by wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just never, I just always forget to try to do a pairing with that. And this made the soup so garlicky. Uh, like the the garlic flavor, but it was good. It was like roasted garlic. Yeah, it was, no, the, the, yeah. It was so intense. Well, and I say no. I I love garlic. So I do too. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it was. It, but what was interesting is that I I had put a little bit too much onions. I think in the soup. Um, also, I didn't chop them up very much. So it was like a lot of like onion rings in there, kind of like just rings of onion, and um, and like a ridiculous amount. Like I added like two onions to like a very small amount of soup. And so Victoria was picking them out with chopsticks and I was like, well, I'll just eat them. Like it's good for you. But, uh, and they tasted fine. And, um, it sounds so good to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like, it didn't, it didn't really enhance, it didn't enhance the flavor of the onions. It just made this roasted garlic flavor just really pop in it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the shrimp, I didn't really notice one thing one way or the other, but like, I was like, this is a great wine to pair with it. So it actually made me appreciate the wine quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it might've been that acidity that kind of like mm-hmm. helped pull a little bit of whatever was on my tongue out and then kind of bring that roasted garlic flavor forward and, um, just a, a really good pairing. So when, when I was reading that in the notes, I was, uh, I tried it with seafood and the seafood was not what tasted better, but that garlickiness to it, uh, was excellent. Um, in Washington, uh, this is the third most popular white grape and the sixth most popular grape overall. I didn't mention this when we did the Oregon one, and I don't know if I hadn't run across it. It is, it has replaced Chardonnay as the most popular white grape in Oregon, which is interesting. And and it makes sense too, because um, Pinot Noir is their most popular red grape. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if it's, if that, if this is almost genetically identical to it, you would think that if it grows Pinot Noir very well, it probably grows Pinot Grigio very well as well. Um, and so that I thought was very interesting. So that's really, that's basically the notes that I have on, uh, Washington Pinot Grigio. Any thoughts? Huh? Um, no, I, I, I think that might be why I liked this wine so much as I had it first with food. And it definitely, like, I don't know, like, it was one of those wines where, like, I kind of blew out my palate by eating, you know, chicken fried rice with, um, or not chicken fried rice, shrimp fried rice, and 
I had put a little bit of soy sauce on it, which, you know, it already had it on there. And then I also put cayenne pepper on it, but not a lot of cayenne, just a little bit. But yeah, like I definitely popped and like I liked the flavor. So yeah, I, oh my goodness, well, not to burp too much, but. uh <laughs> yeah, like, Well, with, with that experience, it makes me kind of think that maybe with the other three that we did, I would have liked them a lot better if I had eat, if I had drinking them with food. It, and, I think it. I think it would depend on the the type of food you were eating. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean that's one of the things that I think, like especially with whites, because you don't usually go in for them as much. Right. It may be better that you, if we're going to continue the series, that you kind of do them with food, and especially like Sauvignon Blanc, like which you do like. Yeah. You may not like it as much when you see it interact with food. I think that's unlikely. But I think that'd be interesting to kind of try to suss out. Yeah, it would be. And um, maybe, I mean, because I'm, I'm looking it up right now just because I know we're going into Sauvignon Blanc. And it mm-hmm. does seem, I, I, I was pretty sure that this was the case. It does tend to pair with cheeses and things like that, which is something that I like a lot. And I know you don't. Um, I was just crying inside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, so goat cheese, a lot of goat cheese it goes well with um chicken, pork chops, turkey. I could I can actually actually I make a I have a really good pork chop recipe from um the culinary libertarian's book that I wanted to try. So maybe I'll try pork chops uh with that. That would be pretty good. Although I'm not really actually that into pork chops usually. It's not it's not my favorite cut of meat. Um certainly not my favorite cut of pork. I um, definitely like pork chops, but yeah, I know you but, do a lot, but I think one of the things with pork chops is, and I think you like, I don't, it, I don't think the dang it. I don't think you would be doing it a disservice if you cooked it on the griddle, but pork chops need to kind of be grilled in my opinion, kind of, especially with like charcoal. Like I think that really kind of helps bring out pork chops flavor. Yeah. And, and I've, I've actually, I've made, I think a lot of it, one of like my mom, I think is a great cook. Uh, I have a slight criticism with her pork chops cause they're always like way too dry. And I've made pork chops as, um, as an adult and I've made them, I think very well where they're, they're moist there. It's a good cut of pork, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it really is how you prepare it. And, uh, she always made it the way my dad likes it, which is dry and, uh, for, pork for me like that's just not really that's not good pork it's got to be more savory than that or more well savory is not the right description but it's got to be more moist and and watery yeah Um, it's got to not be leather (laughs) yeah exactly but my dad likes them really like my yeah he he likes them the way that she makes them and so she always made them that way and uh and the thing is like it's it's not inedible or whatever it's just not anything special to me whereas i think she makes a lot of other dishes that are really good. And so whenever she made pork chops, I was always like, eh, that's not really what I want. What I want. Why don't you make red chicken? And, uh, <laughs> or, or like ketchup chicken. Uh, kind of it is. Yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, it's a ketchup based sauce, but it's like, I think it's supposed to be barbecue chicken, but like what barbecue was in like the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like a, it's like ketchup and sugar, and onions and vinegar mix. It kind of sounds like kind of like sloppy Joe mix almost. It you know kind I mean? of, yeah, a little bit it is. Yeah, it is. And then 
one of the things we loved the most from Red Chicken was that then she would take the drippings and make like a gravy out of it. And then we put the gravy on the chicken and, and she usually made it with rice. And so we'd have the gravy on the chicken and rice and it was like the greatest thing ever. And it, and it never made that much gravy either. So we had to like, we all, it was like a treat because we all, all wanted it. But the thing is it's, it's red chicken. It's just like, it's full of sugar. I think that's why we liked it. <laughs> but like, cause it, like it tasted really good, but it was also kind of maybe like sweet and sour sauce a little bit, but like, yeah, yeah. uh, so like your mom I, yeah, cracked I don't know. chicken because it's just kids sh- like kids crack you know it's like sugar yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, the thing is like even but even to this day as an adult when she comes over and she's like oh do you want me to make you anything and I'm I always say red chicken like I I it's just really delicious I it's super good but it is it's full of sugar she's made it with Splenda and it it's basically the same thing with Splenda it tastes delicious still mm. and uh, yeah it's just like a weird. Just I don't know. It's a weird dish that like I really, but she makes a bunch of other stuff that I really like. She makes this thing called um, tamale pie that I really like. Uh, it's just a casserole with like olives, ground beef, cornmeal, tomatoes. Um, I don't know some other stuff. Like it, it's kind of like a. It, it's like a. I think pretty much a lot of the food that she made was like the 1950s impression of ethnic food. Well, I think like the other thing that. Like your mom came from a big family. Your family was big. So it's, it's like depression era, cheap cooking with somewhat of a flair. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like where it's like that, like kind of that you were saying the ethnic, like, right. You know, the ethnic portion to it. Like, you know, to me, I've never, like, I don't know many Mexican style dishes that involve olives. Yeah, so yeah, you think, I, I like, don't know either. Pie and, like, <laughs> and then there's olives in it, and I'm like, was that his granddad's thing? Like, I, yeah, I you don't know, know. But, like, that, but that's like the best part because, like, and, and the best part is when you get like the big olive, and it's got some of the tamale pie stuff like shoved in it, and it's like a stuffed olive with like cornmeal and beef. It's like that's like the best part is is getting those olives because you never added a huge amount of olives. It was like a can of black olives yeah. or whatever, yeah. and. Um, yeah, that uh, Texas hash was a good one too, which oh, is similar. Oh, just have olives on it. Like, what am I saying? Like, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones that like that we that I really liked. Uh, Texas hash was really good. Um, hey, it's Texas hash. It's like um, sort of. It's almost basically the same thing as tamale pie, but with rice instead of cornmeal. Mm. And. and um, yeah, I think that's basically it. Yeah, it's it's basically the same thing. It's just instead of cornmeal, it's rice, and uh, really good though. Same same thing, just like a, a really good flavor. I think the spices are a little bit different in it, but it's pretty much the same. Uh, chicken enchiladas she used to make, but they were like white people chicken enchiladas, and uh, with a hollandaise sauce on them instead of like enchilada sauce. <laughs> So, uh, which you probably wouldn't like the hollandaise sauce because it's cheese based. I am not a big um, fan of hollandaise. Like, yeah, it's, it's a little sharp, at least yeah. in my experience. Right. So, like, like things like that. Like, we used we really like chicken enchiladas, and we would eat them. The best part was the second day when they were cold, and then uh, like all of the like chicken stuff had like kind of congealed mm-hmm. inside of the tortilla. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, then it's not sloppy anymore. You can just like carry it around and eat it like a regular sandwich, but it still tastes really good because like all the fats and stuff melt while they're in your, in your mouth and like add that flavor. But it's, <laughs> but it's also, it's a very bland filling 
well, it's it's not bland. It, it's a it's it's very British filling almost. It's like it's like cream of mushroom, chicken, a can of tamales, and then like salt and pepper. I think that's basically the the chicken inside. And and then chicken, obviously. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then it's in it, and then in a tortilla with hollandaise sauce. And like I always, I always describe my mom's food as bland. It's not bland. It's just it is the it's the Western European spice palette. It's it's British spice palette, which I, I think that's it's false to say that British food is bland. It just has a different spice palette than like Spanish food. Yeah, but um, I, I also think like. There's a very specific time frame mm-hmm. that that was the British palate, like spice palate, because right, you know, one of like, and people say, you know, there's like historical evidence from this that like, you know, they've been using all sorts of like imported spices in their cooking for a long time, so right. like, and even at the lower income levels, like. The, the benefits of empire. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I definitely like that. It, it, I, one of those things where I'd, I'd love to, I'd love a series of short vignettes. And like, to me, like it would just be cooking with Martha and it would be you yeah. going mom, Marta, Marta, Marta. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, it's all right. I always want it to be a D. Yeah. Is, like, yeah. Or T like a mom. Mm hmm. What was the inspiration for this Lindsay classic chicken enchilada? That, yeah, that like, actually might be a fun mini series to do on the Californian in Exile. Yeah, uh, because a lot of the stuff, I a lot of that stuff that she makes, I always call it Californian style because the tacos that she makes are white people California style. Because mm-hmm. um, they're kind of based off of Jimmy John's tacos and um, Jimmy John's. Uh, or no, not Jimmy John. Jim okay. Boys. Yeah, Jim been, Jim uh, Boys. Yeah, shop. I don't think. Yeah, they yeah, do yeah. Tacos. So uh, uh, Jim Jim Boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jim Boys tacos. Where it's like, you know, use whatever taco seasoning you can make your own, or you can use the taco seasoning you buy at the store, McCormick or whatever. Um, but the, the thing that makes it different is that when you fry the shells, uh, you are you are soaking up a lot of that oil with Parmesan cheese on the shell. Which so you then once made for me one time, which yeah, it's very good, pretty good. And that's the thing my wife was also pretty familiar with too. And you know, my wife yeah. from California, it was very interesting to me to hear that. And like, this is the funny thing about so much of like the cooking that like you reminisce about, like I would not have liked as a kid and I still wouldn't like as an adult, you know, like it, it, right. for different reasons, like, yeah, yeah. The, like the orange or the, uh, you know, red chicken. Yeah. Like as a kid, I probably would have liked that. But as an adult, it's just sounds too sweet. But like the, you know, the, um, the chicken enchiladas, like I didn't like enchiladas as a kid and I really didn't like cream of mushroom, but I love cream of mushroom now. And I love everything but hollandaise sauce. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like uh, one of my sister's, one of my sisters didn't like the hollandaise sauce either. And she used to make a small portion of it with the hollandaise sauce, not on it. Mm-hmm. So, cause it's, it's basically as you make the filling, you fill it up and then you put the hollandaise sauce on it and then you bake it for a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's, you know, essential so, with hollandaise sauce. Like, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I mean, but yeah, that actually that would be a fun series to do. I might I might see if she'll do that. And basically, I'll get her to give me recipes. I'll make the recipe, 
and then maybe she because I'm actually I think I told you this I'm going out to see my grandma uh, mm-hmm. on the fifth, and so I I'll talk to her about it when we're but I knew you were. Yeah, so I'm going to go out and see my grandma who has um, had some health problems or uh, recently, but is from all accounts doing really well. And I planned it out so that I would fly into San Diego um, mm-hmm. when my grandma's going to be down there. And then my mom, grandma, and dad, and myself are going to drive up to Sacramento or Eldorado Hills, Sacramento area. And uh, and then I'll fly out of Sacramento a couple days later. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bring my portable recorder and hopefully get some like good road stories from my grandma that I can put on the California in exile. Uh, Cause that's, you know, th- I kind of want to get a couple of those stories. You know, she's still recovering um, from her stroke. So she's, you know, some, some of her stories are not as clear as they used to be, but uh, you know, she's feeling pretty good and she likes talking. So I just thought it'd be fun to set up the recorder and see, yeah, like see what she wants to talk about. Yeah. Even if they aren't as good, like it's still nice to have them, you know? Yeah. Like, and she, and, I mean, as much as her and my, yeah, yeah. yeah. As much as her and my grandpa drove around California all the time, like they've got a story about like every single exit, every single city, town, and she remembers those very well. So, and my mom's been kind of doing California road trips with her around the you know different places where her and my grandpa went, and uh, she's got a ton of stories. And so I was like, you know what? Let's, let's bring the recorder out. We'll set it up, and uh, and I just enjoy listening to her. So yeah, yeah it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I look forward to the idea of it and, you know, who knows what the, not execution, but you know, it's, you don't want your grandma to be self-conscious, you know, all the things that could happen. Like, sure. Exactly. I I, I like the idea of it. I think it's very fun. Um, there's a lot of stuff that my grandmother did or my mom, stepmom, my, well, my, just my grandmother did with my grandfather where it's like, wait, you guys did that? And like, you know, they used to go on cruises and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she's never been one for stories per se. Um, so, but it would be interesting to hear like, just kind of about their lives as married adults, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got like, one news yeah. article to finish the show out. If you're ready to continue. Well, I think, there's something we traditionally do since we've talked about all of these very interesting recipes and not to yes. bemoan your mother's cooking or like <laughs> put it down. Cause like, that's the thing is like, yeah, my dad is a very good cook and I didn't grow up eating a lot of his good cooking because like I was a stubborn idiot kid and my mom's a pretty good cook, but I ate a lot more of her cooking cause she would cook during the day and then work at night. And then, you know, so we would have the leftovers that my mom made, but like, I don't have a lot of like named family dishes, you know, it's like, oh, we had meatloaf, but it's not like red chicken where it's like something special or like chicken enchiladas where it means something different. So, yeah, but hearing from a professional chef. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's listen to our sponsor before we get into our news article. Hi, folks. Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people who provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen, as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty. Type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. I look forward to hearing from you. Yep, and that is our boy, the Culinary Libertarian. Who, yeah, I know we've uh, been listening to it for weeks, but mm-hmm. I am 
consistently impressed every time I hear it by how well structured and concise in like fun that little segment is where it's like, yeah. this is who I am. This is what I've done. These are the things I talk about. And like, take a listen. Like it's yeah. just perfect. <laughs> and the show, the show is very good like that too, because he, he contains. So even when he's not talking only about cooking, he contains a lot of information in a very, in a, I wouldn't say a very small package. Cause it's not always like a very fast show, but he is good at teaching the cooking stuff that uh, he's trying to convey. Mm-hmm. And then he's also good at when he has like a guest or when he's talking about something else, he's good at his interview skills are really good. His teaching skills when he just wants to talk about some sort of Liberty thing in general. Uh, he's just, he's very good. His show's great. I, I listen to it. Um, I try to listen to it every, every time it comes out. I, I don't, I miss episodes in a lot of times, like I'll look at it and be like, Oh, he's talking about biscuits. Oh, I want to, I want to learn about biscuits, but then it'll be like something kind of obscure. And I'll be like, I don't know what that food is, but it's interesting. And I'll pass that one up, but I'll come back to it later. So, you know, we listen to it and it's like, Oh, we could have been doing this with wine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, he's got like a lot of really good that, that that's actually what I like about his book is that a lot of the recipes are teaching you a technique that builds on your skills as a cook. And um, like, like some, like he'll talk about how to like correctly saute onions to be used in a dish as that dish is building, you know? Mm-hmm. So like you're, or, or it's not saute, uh, caramelized when you're trying to caramelize the onions to give it like a, a different type of flavor. We'll so to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. He's, he's, he's got a lot of really good, uh, recipes in there. I've only made two so far, but we're going to start working through. There's a lot of soups in it and, Mm -hmm. um, it's getting to that cold time of year where soups are very welcome in this house. You know, I'm not a huge fan of soup, but, uh, Victoria loves soup and soup is a big thing in my house. Um, I just think it's funny when you're saying the cold time of the year and I'm like, it doesn't get cold in Dallas. And then I'm like, it's yeah. relative, you idiot. <laughs> like, well, it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like 56 right now, which is pretty cold. No, oh, I was going to say it's 72 degrees right now. <laughs> oh yeah. That's pretty, that's nice. That's nice where you are. And yeah. That's like, it, it, we, we're in, we're in like a little cold, like a little cold snap here. Cold snap. Um, yeah. It's going to rain uh, tomorrow. So it's going to drop down to like 69. Well, that, I think that's why ours is, why it's been a little bit cold here is we had rain uh, yesterday and it's been cloudy the last couple of days, but I think later this week it's supposed to get back up pretty high. Um, no, no, I guess I'm wrong. Like according to the weather, like, the, the highest it's going to be in the next 10 days is 76. The rest of the uh, rest of the week is going to be under 60. So, mm. wow. Yeah, so definitely not be the weather cool. we're, uh, we're, uh, so for Halloween here, it's projected 61 degrees. Oh, okay. um, that's not too bad. But, you know, tomorrow is 64, 68, 69, 70, 73, 70, 65, 61, 66. So, yeah, not bad, but yeah. So, uh, you got an article. I do, and it's actually an article you're familiar with because you sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually – I thought this article was interesting for a couple of reasons. So I actually – I grabbed the one – I don't remember which one you sent me, but I grabbed the one for the New York Post, uh, mostly because the New York Post has been uh, blockaded from social media. For so one article, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and use the New York Post just because – and by the way, their, their website is just – 
covered in ads, but I'm sure most news outlets are. Well, it's like going to weather.com and there's so many, like if you're not using brave or some browser like that, it's like almost inoperable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's ludicrous, but the article is interesting. You sent it to me and uh, I thought it was kind of funny. There's also a couple of things about like the way they wrote this that I thought we would have a good time, like talking about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on a couple of different fronts. So the the base the summary of the article is that a, a young couple was out at a fancy restaurant. Um, it was it's called uh, Mangers at Balthazar. Uh, it's in New York. Or no no I'm sorry. Um, oh no that's right yeah Mangers Mangers at Bel- Balthazar is the restaurant. Uh, they ordered a eighteen dollar bottle of Pinot Noir, which is the uh, lowest price bottle of wine this uh, establishment offers. And the the people that were preparing the wine had two identical decanters, and they poured the eighteen dollar bottle of Pinot Noir into one decanter, which it's not necessary. Nece- but I mean, well, maybe. It, well, we'll we'll say that for another discussion. But I was going to say, I'm looking at yeah. their entree price. The lowest entree price is twenty four dollars. If they didn't serve it in a decanter, I'd be pissed. Okay, all right. Well, that makes sense then. Um, and. They also, a, a business client was there having a dinner, and he ordered a $2,000 bottle of wine. The 1989 Chateau Mont, uh, Mount, I'm, I'm not pronouncing this right, Mont, Monton Rothschilds Bordeaux, which probably you and I would love, uh, just because we do like Bordeaux, and um, it would also be really fun to drink a two thousand dollar bottle of wine. They but, have uh, four thousand dollar. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah. they when they were bringing this out to the businessman and the or the business party and the couple, they switched them. So the business party got the eighteen dollar bottle, and the couple that ordered the eighteen dollar bottle got a two thousand dollar bottle of wine. And now. This is the part that I feel a little weird about. The way that they quote the owner uh, is that the business people were ranting and raving about how good the wine was and that like, oh, this $2,000 bottle. Yeah, pure and superb and all this sort of stuff. And and the couple that got the $18 bottle of wine, you know. Yeah, it was good, and and they were like, "Oh, this is pretty pretty decent," or whatever. And I, and I think the implication of this is that, like, people who like wine don't know anything about it. But I think it kind of goes back to what you and I talk about a lot: is that there's a lot of things that go into your enjoyment of wine, and it, it, mm-hmm. a lot of it's the ambiance, a lot of it's who you're sharing the bottle with, a lot of it is how much you thought you paid for it. Uh, that does affect people's perception, whether, whether it's, you know, quote unquote real or not, that's a, uh, I don't know. That's kind of a different thing, but like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like I took a special exception to that where I was like, you're, you're kind of being a dick, you know, you, you served these people the wrong wine. Well, he did not serve the people the wrong wine. No, but the, but by mistake, the wait staff, the restaurant who's responsible for the service served the wrong wine. Um, so there's a couple of questions that I have about this. So that's basically the story is that they, that's kind of what they're saying is that, ha ha ha, these rich people don't know what they're talking about. And these poor people just got a $2,000 bottle of wine. Um, so a couple, one question is if that happened to you and me or you and your wife or something like that, and 
uh, it turned out it was a $2,000 bottle of wine. What do you think your reaction would be to finding out that that was a $2,000 bottle of wine if you could not tell any different? Well, so, I mean, the biggest thing for me in is like the most expensive bottle of wine that I've had more than once is Pina. Yeah. I've had expensive bottles of wine that you've gotten from last bottle of wine where, you know, the price is XDDX dollars, um, but you paid only this. And not that I'm, I'm not crapping on last bottle of wine because you can go to our website, tastinganarchy.com and follow the link to taste uh, last bottle of wine. If you haven't bought anything from them before, you can get a discount and we get a kickback. But it's kind of like, hey, this thing that normally sells for this that we couldn't sell. It's like, yeah, right. no, it's not worth that. It's worth what you paid yeah. for it. Yeah, because so, then you had to drop the price so you could clear it. I guess. Yeah, correct. And, and so, you know, that's the, and you know, the, there's some shittiness to that way of thinking at times, because it could also be like, you know, hey, we were going out of business and we were going out of business for other reasons. And it's just, you know, yada, 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 whatever. Sure. So, but that's where, like, I don't, like, if I had paid, it, so it would be different if I paid the $2,000 and got the cheaper bottle and I couldn't tell the difference. Right. Because that would, to me, just reinforce the fact that I should be drinking the cheaper bottle because I enjoyed the uh -huh. cheaper bottle. But that's also one of those ones where like, if I got the more, exp you know, it's kind of like we always say with peanuts, like, wait, is this as good as we think it is? I think it is, and the but reason being yeah. is that we've compared it to other things. But I don't know that in – the thing is, though, I also enjoy the $16 bottle of Freak Show or $17 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I enjoy it for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would – and this is one of the things you and I have talked about. I would really like to do some blind taste testing. Mm-hmm. And um, – just for fun and, and have a couple of different like cabs at different price points and stuff like that, because I think I can tell the difference. Mm -hmm. I, I may not be able to tell things down to the year, but I can tell generally new world versus old world. I think um, generally not, not always, but um, I think I can generally tell new world versus old world. I think I can tell um, general price point up to about 50 bucks. After fifty dollars, I think it's hard to tell. Um, that that's more subjective. But like, there's things like the the 2014 Groth from Oakville um, is one of my favorite uh, Capsovs. Mm -hmm. They're not really available that much anymore. There's there's some you can still get it. I actually think you might be able to get a lot of it at Total Wine. It's it's it, they produce a lot, but they're sixty bucks a bottle, I think. Um, and that I think is one of my favorite. Cab Sobs, 2014, 2015, not as good. So there, there is a difference be from wine to wine, and I can tell the difference to some degree. I also think I could tell a Bordeaux and a Pinot Noir different very easily. Um, but, you know, maybe if at, a t at the $2,000 price point, and there was an article we covered a while ago where they said after about 100 bucks, yeah, there's not that much difference anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and it's more of, I mean, this is Rothschild wine. This is a extremely prestigious brand. 
Yeah. And one that, you know, if you're a Wall Street exec or whatever, which I, I, I think what they said these guys were, that's something to show off with. And that has a different value. Mm-hmm. You know, prestige does play into the price. Yeah. So, yeah, good. So I was thinking it's like, you know, you buy this bottle and you're praising it because you're showing it up. You're, you're trying to make yourselves look better. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're trying to play it up for your clients and that sort of thing. And then they come out and, you know, you've been praising its clarity and all that stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that was actually the $18 bottle. Yeah. Like how badly damaged is your, you know, like how, you know, or is you, are you damaged? Like, did you actually have an issue now because somebody screwed up and you were going, you know, spouting off like an idiot to other people, but like to your friends or the people you're trying to impress, they're like, Oh, he, he really knows what he's talking about. And maybe you are like reading stuff into it, but it's just maybe that $18 bottle is very good. And you know, so like, yeah. that's like, you know, reputation and damage now just kind of as another thing they have, at least according to the wine menu that I think I have for the, I think I've got the right one. Um, coming from March, they have a $6,800 bottle of wine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. La Trance Grand Cru. Um, but yeah, so like, that's one of those things where like, I know I can't tell the difference and, but you know, it's like also like, Hey, I buy an $18 bottle of wine and they put it in a decanter. Maybe they put it in a decanter for serving purposes. Who knows? Maybe in New York, you have to do that. You know, one of those goofy things. Yeah. Um, but like, let's say they didn't actually like aerate it anyway. They just poured it out, you know, poured it. And then like, they didn't aerate that $2,000 bottle the same way, you know, like does, is their presentation and treatment of the wine different, you know? Right. So like maybe the people who were like, Oh, it doesn't taste like anything special. Cause maybe they wasn't treated the way it should have been, you know, by right. wine aficionado's purpose. And like this to me, this would be something interesting to talk to somebody like Jackson blood about. Not that I'm saying he's had a $2,000 bottle. Maybe he has. I know we talked to him at one point and he gave us a rough idea, like the most expensive ones he's had. Um, but I don't remember the price point or anything like that, but like that would be an interesting conversation with somebody who, you know, he knows the difference between a lot of, right. them, but he also, at least in my kind of feel of his stuff is he's not going to be like super pretentious about it. He's like, yeah, I can generally tell the difference, but for most people, you're not going to taste any different, you know? So, yeah. But he also does, you know, and this would actually be a really interesting article to talk to him about because he also, when I asked him for advice on Portuguese wine, which is one, one thing that he likes quite a bit. Uh, one of the very first things he told me was, Hey, you know, you don't need to spend a lot to have a good Portuguese wine. You can spend 20 bucks and get an excellent Portuguese wine. That would be the equivalent of, you know, a 50 or $60 Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's that quality. So, you know, if you go a little higher than that, maybe that's what you're seeing. And I think that, I think he, Jackson also, and, and you and I have kind of become a little bit more cognizant of this is places like Chile, where it does sort of seem to be a little bit hit and miss, when it comes to wine, um, mm-hmm. you can get really excellent, like Carmenere, which is one that I like a lot from Chile. Really excellent Carmenere for like ten dollars, fifteen dollars, like yeah. really inexpensive. It's harder to find, but uh, for the but you know it's not that hard to find. Even Total Wine sometimes has some very good Carmeniers for very inexpensive, and I would, you know, for that price. 
or for that quality or the flavors that I was experiencing, what my enjoyment level out of that was, I would not have been surprised to pay 30, 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little more than that would be kind of out of the range of it. Uh, but I'm super, super curious to try this uh, Rothschild that they have, uh, even <laughs> though like I don't have the 2000 bucks right now to spend on a, a bottle of wine. One of these days, you and I will do that. Um, right now, I think I think peanut kind of high like holds our high high watermark for a price point. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Groth and maybe maybe at Childerberg three, I'll bring I'll I'll try to find a Groth 2014 and bring it so that we can maybe do a, a blind taste testing between Groth and peanut mm -hmm. because I think Groth is is pretty close. Uh, but the thing the difference is with with peanut and and this kind of goes back to what I was saying. A lot of it has to do with the experience and one of the reasons i like peanut so much is you got it for me for my birthday mm -hmm. and, and we drank it together and uh that makes it a special wine to me yeah so like not only was it a special wine for the purchase in that but it actually was interesting and it was different and it wasn't like the like even if it wasn't even if it ends up being that like you know down the road we're kind of like yeah this this really isn't as good as we think it is the memory of it is like it yeah, was exactly. a fun and interesting purchase it was good we enjoyed our time together with it um we definitely want to do it again you know it's kind of like all that stuff where it's like yeah this was a fun time yeah yeah exactly so one one more question about the article and then sure. i think we'll wrap up um this more another hypothetical is well, it's sort of a two-part question is if you were the restaurateur and you realized that there was a mistake, but neither one of the tables were complaining, would you say anything? Or do you feel like you'd be obligated to say something? If I was, so like, let's pretend it's the Joseph restaurant and it's you. You're still a customer. And the other person was the person who got the $2,000 bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. I'm not charging you obviously for the $2,000 bottle of wine. And I would tell you as you were checking out, but otherwise no. But if it's just somebody Joe Schmo off the street, yeah, I would be like, Hey, here's what happened. We screwed up. That's an $18 bottle of wine. Hey, we screwed up. That's a $2,000 bottle of wine. Obviously we're going to only charge you 18 and obviously you know, the $2,000 people were not going to charge you anything. Right. Um, because you didn't get anything close to what you're ordering and you've got something at least from a inventory value is way beyond. So you're going to pay the 18 bucks. Right. Um, and then if they were like, Hey, we want the $2,000 bottle. Sure. But you're not getting any discount on it. Right. Okay. Like if they were like, Oh yeah, but we do want the 2000. It's like, sure. I can get you one, but it is $2,000. I'm not charging you for the other bottle. So, um, so yeah, and then, you know, maybe free. I comp like part of their meal from there for the, right. you know, the mistake or the embarrassment, especially if somebody had been kind of going, you know, like, Oh, like you kind of, your, your wine guy was standing there. So it was waxing poetically about it. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not giving you a discount on the wine, but dis discount on the food. Sure. Right. Okay. That makes, I mean, that makes sense. That, that's probably what I would do too. The other kind of the, well, I guess now this is a three part question. The <laughs> third, the third, the second part would be for, if it was a dinner party like this, which was like a, a business party, how, what would be the best way to tell the person paying 
that there was a mistake without embarrassing him because he has been waxing poetically or whatever about how great this wine is. Um, what do you think it would be in the restaurateur's best interest not to say anything until that guy was like on his way to pay out and you just kind of pull him aside and go, Hey, this is what happened. Like, I don't want to embarrass you in front of your business clients because you clearly all enjoyed this $18 bottle of wine, but um, this is what's happened. You know, we can talk about it later, but uh, we're going to go ahead and comp, you know, part of your meal and and not charge you for this bottle. For example, um, what do you, what would be a like? What would be like? How would you do that? I mean, obviously, you wouldn't like. Well, maybe you would. Would you run up and knock their wine glasses out of their hands and be like, "No, stop drinking the eighteen dollars <laughs> or whatever"? Um, but like, I, I what, feel, I feel you if like. So it depends on when you discover the error, right? So they could consume the $18 bottle of wine. Like it's all gone. And maybe they're drinking cocktails at this point or something like that. And then you, if I knew the guy's name, then maybe I might ask to speak to him separately. It's like, Hey, um, I've got a question for something for you. That's of a personal nature. Can I speak to you for a minute and then explain what happened? But if like if I remember correctly from the article, no one had finished the bottle. Right. So right. to me, it's like, hey, you know, that's when I would come up and say, is like, you know, um, so you know, gentlemen, would you please put your glasses down for a moment? We we have something to sit. Uh, we've we've run into an issue. Unfortunately, you guys have been given a, a different bottle of wine than we intended. The than you ordered. Um, this is the bottle of wine you got. Um, you know, I'm glad to see that you guys are enjoying it. Obviously, if you want the bottle that you actually attempted to order, we'd be glad to procure one, you know, get another one for you um, or get one for you and, and get it prepped or whatever. But keeping in mind, like, you know, I don't know if they're doing anything to like speed up the decanting of it, you know, like, right. Are they doing anything to speed up the decanting of it? Or is like, you know, you're sitting there going like, okay, well, you know, you've waited an hour and a half for this bottle. You have to wait another hour and a half, you know, but like yeah, that's yeah. so, but yeah, if they're in the middle of drinking it, then yeah, I probably would say, you know, I'd have to come up and say that like, Hey, this is what happened. Um, what do you guys want to do about it? Yeah. And then, you know, it's, like Danny says that, or, you know, our former boss says that a lot where it's, you tell them what happened and then just stop talking. Right. And let just them, what they want. Yeah. Like, here are your options. Okay. Yeah. I understand. We'll do that. You know, I like that's me giving them a break, a pause to them to insert whatever they want to do. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. So the final portion of this is what do you think about the couple that ordered the $18 bottle? And Let's say, and, and you're right, it does depend on when the error was discovered. So they order, you poured a glass each for them. And before they're finished with their first glass, you discover the error. Um, so this is that they've each had, so assuming that, I, I know it doesn't exactly work this way, but there's about five glasses of wine um, per bottle. And uh, at a $2,000 bottle, that's roughly $400, I think, per glass. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So four, yeah. So $400 per per class of wine. So they've each had a $400 glass of wine. 
do you send one of your servers to go, oh, I'm sorry, we've poured you this wrong one, and we're taking the remaining three glasses back, and you take the decanter away. But, I mean, once it's in the decanter, I don't know that you can put it back in the bottle and it lasts to serve that again at, at you know, the high price. I mean, obviously, per glass, they're not going to charge $400 a glass necessarily, but um, once it's decanted, that's kind of the point of no return. You, so, you kind of have to drink it within the day. Um, mm-hmm. And so what would your, what would you, let, let's, let's put it at that. The, you, you've poured it, decanted it, the entire bottle. You've poured them each a glass. They've started drinking the glasses, but they haven't finished the glasses and you discover the air. What would you say to the couple that ordered the $18 bottle of wine? So let's go with, so my original, so, you know, obviously you were leading up to asking this question. So I was in, I kind of, you know, obviously knew what the question was going to be as you were yeah. preparing to ask it. Um, so my first thought was, well, you really can't take it back from them because you don't know what they may have done. Exactly. Yeah. That's what, that was my thought too. So, And then I thought, well, like that's, that's what they would, you know, that's the classic, um, Oh, state, you know, blah, 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 like regulation or, you know, like food, you know, inspector, like I'm not getting the health inspector sort of thing. Like, oh, you know, you can't be seen taking wine back from somebody and putting it back on the bottle, yada, yada, yada. Um, But then I was like, as a libertarian, you'd want to do that even less. Because like, if as a libertarian, you accidentally poisoned someone because, you know, say the person sneezed. Right. Really covered their hands, but somehow they had the Rona. And now the Rona's in the bottle. You, You know, make up your own hypothetical nonsense, but then it gets proved back to you. Now you're screwed. You know what I mean? Like, right. like even more in a libertarian situation where it's like, okay, well, they could really come after you. So that's one of those ones where the bottles on, like, that's what I was saying is like for the people with the, you know, the, if I served it to those people, they're paying the 18 bucks for that bottle of wine. Right. Unless they go, okay, I understand that this is, you know, a huge error in our favor but we don't want this bottle and we're not going to finish it. Then I wouldn't charge them. Okay. But if it's like, Hey, we're going to consume, you know, like, Hey, we gave you a $2,000 bottle of wine. We are not going to charge you anything more than what you had. And they're like, okay, cool. Cause that's what they said is basically it's like a bank error in our favor. It's kind of sure. Yeah. Um, Which it is in its own way. I mean, like it sucks for the restaurant tour, but you know, there's training that should be done there. Um, but that's where, you know, you kind of say to the people, it's like, okay, well, you know, like, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> and if they're, and that's only the only time I would have an issue is if they were like, well, you know, I appreciate that, but we don't want this bottle. And it's like, it's like, do you not want it? Cause you think I'm going to charge you for it? It's like, no, with, it's not what we ordered and we don't want it. It's like, yeah. Well, Hey, well, yeah. other guys, do you want this for free? Yeah, that, that'd be kind of, that was sort that's what I was thinking too, is if like, but the thing is like, I mean, for, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like how I would react in that situation because it would be such, well, Victoria doesn't drink wine at all. But if I was in a situation where Victoria was like, yeah, I'll have a glass, um, then 
I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Like as the as a recipient, as the restaurateur, yeah, I think what you laid out is 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 correct. Is that you know what we can't really charge anybody for the two thousand dollar bottle. The people who ordered the eighteen dollar bottle, they ordered an eighteen dollar bottle. You know, if they decide they don't want the rest of it, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and comp it. Um, and then maybe for the the wealthy Wall Street people, we'll comp part of their meal or whatever, just just to kind of save mm-hmm. face to some degree and and you know smooth things out. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. As like the recipient of that, like I don't really have that kind of uh, personality where I'm like. Oh, the purity of this wine is blah blah blah. You know, I'd, I'd be like, oh, this is pretty good actually. You know, you know, not bad yeah. or whatever. But like, even if it was a two thousand dollar bottle of wine, I think both you and I would kind of do the same thing. We'd be like, yeah, this is pretty good. We like this. <laughs> you know, like we, I think we'd have a very similar reaction uh, yeah, for I mean, both like, of them. I I would be feeling so bad as the person receiving the incorrect bottle about yeah. not being able to pay for that bottle. You yeah, know, exactly. Right? Yes, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't, I didn't come in here and I didn't say the $2,000 bottle and then pull the guy aside and be like, no, 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 I was just screwing with you. You know, or anything like that. Like, I, you know, I, I truly didn't want that and I couldn't afford that. I would still feel bad not about not being able to pay for it. Right. Even though, like, I wouldn't go order it myself. Like I'd almost wanted to be like, you know, kind of being able to go back in the past, you know, go back in the future and be like, Hey, here's the money for that $2,000 bottle. Why did I drink that one time that, you know, I got for free. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation. I just, I liked the article a lot. I just thought it was kind of like, it would add a little whimsy and it had a couple of like conundrums in it where mm-hmm. not really conundrums, but like, like, how would we handle this? This is such a yeah. weird, what do you, like a weird you, situation. Yeah. What do you, what do you do? Who do you, how do you approach the situation? What's the right way to kind of talk to both people about it? And that's what I think is more interesting kind of from like a libertarian perspective is like, we all want to live in a, or at least for us, we want to live in a more free society and, you know, like get, you know, malice and others kind of talk about like, you know, most interactions are kind of anarchist interactions. So like what makes the world a better place? And that's treating people better in, in a certain, to a certain point. So it's like, okay, so how do you, what do you, how do you proceed when there's something really messed up? Right. Yeah, especially yeah to this degree or the different different like I mean if it was like a two hundred dollar bottle versus a two thousand dollar bottle, it 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 does even though that's still like percentage wise a huge difference. Mm-hmm. It's not. It doesn't like my perception of that would not be as bad. I wouldn't be like oh my god like I, like eighteen dollars and two thousand is such a huge difference in price point. But I also think that like. I don't know. I mean, like the, one of the things that makes this such an interesting article is because the Rothschild was in 1989. So there is like a scarcity aspect to it as well, where it's like, yeah, it's, it's a 1989. You just, there's not that many available anymore. It's been mm-hmm. a long time. Well, I mean, that's, uh, to, me, to me, that's kind of a scarcity for everything. Like, yeah. You know, there's a mistake and you know, you, the that is one less of that good and that's kind of like the weird thing about waste is like 
how mad can you get about waste when it's if if the person who is paying for it is wasting it you know what i mean like like but then that also goes back to you know and i's classic kind of conversation about like waste uh, trash being like a resource um you know it's it's you know it's too frequently thought of as just some throwaway piece to this yeah and people need to more take those into consideration yeah i mean this is yeah yeah you're right so i'm this interesting i guess like the last the last thing i'll say about this to uh kind of wrap it up that i also thought about while i was reading this article i bet you that like multiple news outlets made more than $2,000 on this article, <laughs> which I think, or, or at least them together made more than $2,000. Maybe. I mean, that that's certainly possible. I, I don't know how much this garnered. Cause I found this on wine, the Reddit wine subgroup, okay. you know, like the subreddit and somebody, you know, it was just like a post. I didn't read anybody's responses to it. I just, like saw it and I was like, oh, I think this would be interesting. Jacob will find this at least interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I did find it interesting, and I, and I thought it would be a good kind of a, um, both libertarian conundrum, but also just in general, like put, trying to put yourself in the the shoes of the other people. And also, I, I felt like we the amount of like COVID loss and fire loss and stuff we talked about. I thought like an article of whimsy would be kind of yeah, much, kind of fun. much more fun. Yeah, yeah. So, um. We're Tasting Anarchy. Find us on tastinganarchy.com, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, tastinganarchy at gmail.com. We are, I guess, I mean, like two-thirds of the hosts of Childerberg. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm the organizer. You're yeah, one you're of the, the hosts. Organizer. And then Carr. Carr is the other host, I guess. And yeah. uh, that's, that's, yes, I guess two-thirds. Yeah, that, that makes yeah, sense. Two-thirds. <laughs> um, so Childerberg is the annual uh, gathering of libertarians anarchists and free people in texas uh so this year like last year will be a uh well the 2021 will be a mule shoe at mule shoe bend recreational park or area um the 31st of may that's the end day so yeah so the 29th through 31st (laughs) 29th through 31st um so we'll be out there we'll be having fun um we've got some comedy going to be happening most likely some people performing we're going to just be having fun seeing each other having fun with our friends meeting new people um seeing old faces hopefully we'll see many of the people that we didn't get to see this year we'll get to see uh either because they weren't able to come when they wanted to or people who were never able to come or people who you know any of those combinations that you want to say but uh yeah and then all right. you can follow that on twitter as well at Chilterberg. that's right all right uh, i think that does it for us tonight stay free. Me, stay free stay free <laughs>